Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Horror Obsessive Podcast. I'm one half of your host, the old JP Nunes. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Parker. How's it going, Sean? Incredible Sean Parker. Uh, the Sean Parker. Yeah. Yeah. You got that part, right? Yeah. All right. You got part of it. I mean the 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 credible Sean Parker because okay. I I think you're a not untrustworthy person. Hey, you know? our guest our guest came on this episode. So, yeah, so, uh, really. I, didn't, I didn't lie this week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before Michelle gets here, let's uh let's run down our list of stuff that happened on Horror Obsessive this week. Yeah, so uh, there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, I saw two new movies. So I saw one uh, called The Elderly. It was, uh, let's see, so this movie was directed by Raul Cerezo and Fernando Gonzalez Gomez. Uh, it's a Spanish movie. Oh, yeah, Fernando Gonzalez Gomez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, exactly so, how you pronounce it. Perfect accent. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Good job, Sean. You know, you're, you're, you're learning. Yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're the people who did a movie called The Passenger. Uh, last year, I think, came out. Yeah, that was which, the. So I saw there's there were two passengers that came out in the past like year too. There's that really? one by Carter Smith that that just came out probably uh, three four months ago, and then there okay. was this other one that uh, I think they they pick up a hitchhiker and she's got some sort of yeah thing something like that. I, I I don't remember exactly. I just remember like so for me, I thought the horror was good enough on its own. But the characters really brought the movie down for me. I just didn't like them, um, so I, I kind of wasn't sure what to expect going into this one. I was I was, I was afraid that it would have the same issue, um, but thankfully, I don't think it did. I thought the characters like they weren't great, but they didn't take away from the movie. Um, and I thought the horror was it, it was creepy. You know, I mean, it wasn't you know like best of the year or anything, but I had a good time with it. Uh, so, like the title of my review is "The Elderly is a Fun Creep Fest with Something to Say." So, you know that that kind of gives you the the general gist of my thoughts on the movie. Um, so, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I, uh, I I was the opposite. I saw this one back in uh, I think it was for the Chattanooga Film Festival. Want to say mm-hmm. that was <laughs> want to say that was April or May, uh, okay. and it. It just didn't do it for me. It just didn't hit. I I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend this one. I would I would go find some something else. Uh, a lot of people liked it. I just <laughs> this, one, this one wasn't for me. Fair I'll enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, the other uh, new release that I saw uh, is a movie called Malibu Horror Story, which I've seen getting some good buzz, um, and I agree with it. I really enjoyed this one too. Um, it, it, the story itself is not super original. But the way the movie tells that story is unlike anything I've ever seen before. It, it's kind of like, I think the way I described it in my review is it's like a, it's like a cinematic onion with layers where on the outside layer, you have just like a regular, like traditional narrative storytelling. Then the middle layer is a mockumentary. Why do you have a stupid grin on your face, Sean? <laughs> it's a cinematic ogre because ogres are like onions. What? You've never seen Shrek? <laughs> No. Why would I? No, I, I, I've never seen Shrek. I've seen parts of it. I never finished it. Um, so I start making Shrek jokes at you, like it ran. No, I, I, I won't know what the, I, I won't. I exactly. Won't You'll just think I'm funny. <laughs> mm, 
funny looking, maybe. Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, Malibu horror story. Uh, so, so the the middle layer is uh, to mockumentary. Then, like the the inner layer is found footage. The way it all works out, I thought was was really good. Really, it's a really interesting way of presenting the story. And even though the story itself isn't terribly original, I think it's executed really well. Um, even even apart from that original kind of format. So overall, you know, again, not not like you know one of the best one of the not not one of the best of the year. But I had a really good time with it. So if you like horror movies, I think you will too. Awesome. Yeah, I want to yeah. see that one. That one has I've mm-hmm. I've seen sort of circle around at different festivals and things and mm-hmm. I had I've had my eyes on it for a bit wanting to watch yeah, it. Yeah, definitely uh, check it out. Definitely check yeah, it out. That one that one's gonna that one's gonna be a hit at some point. So uh, what did I do? So I actually did stop this week because, well, the the COVID's finally lending me yeah. a little reprieve, I guess. <laughs> About time. Yeah, no kidding. A month of this <laughs> shit. It's just it's, it's freaking time already. Uh, so I had an interview. Actually, it was the week I had COVID <laughs> with uh, Larry <laughs> Wade Carroll, who uh, he did a documentary uh, called uh, "The Dark Side of Society." Which a lot of documentaries that we've been seeing lately uh, have been very nostalgic documentaries, really going over like let's say Pennywise, the story of it. We've seen uh, the Clue documentary. We're talking about Clue today. There was a Clue documentary that Screenbox put out. Also, uh, Living with Chucky, which uh, again, mm-hmm. just very nostalgic mm-hmm. films about uh, cult movies in a particular era. Dark Side of Society is not that <laughs> at all. Uh, Dark Side of Society has to do with this person, Zef Daniel, who uh, 40 years ago went by the name Woody Keith. Uh, Woody Keith wrote the screenplay or co-wrote the screenplay. When While they were filming the movie, he kind of had a recall that a lot of the stuff that he had written in the script was real. Uh, that actually was it had happened to him. I don't know if you guys have seen mm. Society or not, but if you have, yeah, then you know I have. How, yeah, you know how wild that that movie gets. Like, take a lot of the the wild stuff and bring it back to reality and context, mm-hmm. and you still get a movie about uh, uh, a kid being raised by sort of Hollywood elite parents and and so forth, mm-hmm. and getting sort of sort of led to uh, a ritual. you know something ritualistic and uh, basically what he's really talking about is childhood abuse Mm -hmm. so he uh the director larry wade carroll had just you know sort of discovered this as they built their production company together crazed house uh they've made a couple of movies together now quantum devil has just come out and uh girl next won all kinds of awards at various festivals for uh it just being good <laughs> so dark side of society just takes a look at his business partner on a different kind of level and it's it's an interesting documentary i'll put it that way the the interview is it goes in some some interesting direction so i would say check it out the movie so much i i don't know that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a per person thing it, the the movie itself wasn't for me but i think larry's a pretty cool guy so uh, so when you say the movie stuff you mean the documentary not yes the documentary i'm sorry society i love i think society oh yeah yeah it's great yeah um and i am gonna watch the quantum devil uh probably this weekend which uh it it does look pretty good like uh the these movies that they're putting out look 
look pretty good. So I, I do want to check them out. The Dark Side of Society is a documentary. I think he kind of misses a couple of things. But Larry also explains that in our interview together on on why they couldn't go the full gamut that they wanted to and uh, the mm-hmm. limitations of, of sort of <laughs> what they could do there because of uh, the, the content of, of what Seth has gone through. Okay, understandable. Yeah, I, I would I would give it, you know, it's an interesting interview. Uh, I put a lot of time into it. If you guys are interested, it's out there. Please go find it. Uh, the other thing that I put out this week on Hobbs was uh, Project Eerie, which it'll actually be out when you guys are listening to this podcast. It's on Amazon Prime exclusively. It's a found footage movie. Two kids on Halloween in 2020 have nothing better to do than break into a highly <laughs> unguarded old military base and discover a video that has some pretty strange stuff on it. This is a low budget found footage film that rocks. It's so freaking good. Uh, my review, I compare it to VHS 85 and tell you that how Ooh. this one is better and how VHS 85 kind of sucks in comparison. <laughs> so uh, if you didn't okay. like VHS 85 and you were looking for a little something more on the do-it-yourself end of found footage, I definitely recommend this one. Like I said, it's on Amazon Prime. Go find it. It's called Project Eerie. Nice. Sounds interesting. So is it, when you say it's on Amazon Prime, is it do you have to rent it or is it streaming on like on the streaming service, Amazon Prime? Great question. <laughs> uh, I, I would know more tomorrow, but we're not, <laughs> we're not living in the future. Uh, oh, oh, so, it may so you be, don't, okay. Yeah, it may be. It, they didn't write whether it was, uh, you know, free to watch on Prime. So my mm-hmm. guess is it's probably going to be, you know, it'll probably be about 10 bucks to, to mm-hmm. buy. Uh, okay. Five to rent or six to rent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but oh, yeah, I would, rec- I would recommend the hell out of it. It is super good. Okay, cool. Worth, worth cool. the rental or the purchase. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. All right. I think we, uh, want to just get into it. <laughs> Got a lot let's, of talking to do. Let's go sharking. <laughs> <laughs> let's go cluing. No, let's, no, let's, let, all right. Yeah. One plus two plus one plus one. <laughs> no, it's, it's two plus one plus one and one plus two and then. One plus two plus two plus one. One plus two plus one plus one. Yeah. No, so that's what I said. Yeah. Okay. All right. So live screamers. We're here with Michelle. I'm going to mess up your name. I keep. I and then. No. That's too many syllables already. I did it once. I did it good once the first time I interviewed you. And now it's it's I and then two oh no. Uh, I am Swano. Swano. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not uh, as not as many ands as it is. It's one of them silent. I think I just look at it and I just like I'm not gonna lie. I I looked at it and I got I got afraid very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yes, uh, live stream. So we're gonna talk about that. We're also gonna talk about the movie Clue because mm-hmm. uh, you said that Clue is very much a uh, inspiration for the film. And there's even there was even a line in the film that you uh, yeah, little, you stole from it. Little uh, the ballroom. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Um, I know what it is, but I can't. I can't remember. It's an, yeah, no, it was like it was, I'm, I, if it's uh, they're. They're about to go into the ballroom together, mm-hmm. and someone says, "Well, I'll grab if I see a candlestick or a revolver, 
Yeah, I'm yeah. leaving. That's a yeah, reference. That's a... Um, well, okay, fine. There, <laughs> there, there is another line though, like literally word for word, that is that is a direct quote from Clue. I can't remember off the top of my. It maybe it'll come to me by the end of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. No, I missed it. Yeah, so. I, didn't catch that. <laughs> I was like, yes, I caught one of them. Um, but I mean, I understood immediately when you said Clue because obviously this is a, a, a video game film, which doesn't seem like it would be like clue would even be involved right but well clues you, clues a game or sure. it comes from a game oh, okay you know? okay so it, it makes sense. <laughs> but like i mean just based on everything else you don't really get the you're kind of thinking who done it who you know all of that and instead like it's really very much about going from room to room uh mm-hmm. in that kind of experience and that like big, right like, away when you say clue, I was like okay i get it Plus, they're trying. They're also learning about each other, which is a huge part of Clue. Mm-hmm. And the more that they find out about each other, but um, I've obviously said too much about live screamers because Michelle, you should be telling people what live screamers is about. Uh, so, live screamers is the sequel to Live Scream, uh, which back when I was crowdfunding for Live Screamers, I-, I reached out to you, and you know, you did a few things on horror obsessive with the. Uh, the review and the podcast and stuff that was more about the first movie and, and about sort of our prospects for the next film. Um, I might, I might talk a little bit more about maybe not spoilers necessarily here, but certainly more in this broadcast than I did back then about more stuff that is kind of public now that we, we know about. Um, And essentially it it is an ensemble uh, horror uh, where a group of nine uh, let's or eight let's players and one of their fans uh, all do a multiplayer video game together. It's shot like a live stream. So, you know, you have the gameplay on screen, you have their webcams on the screen at the same time, and we sort of cut amongst them uh, throughout. And uh, the game starts killing them one by one. <laughs> so, yeah, instead of a whodunit, it's more of a slasher, but uh, you definitely have a little bit of the what the heck is going on, how are we dying um, is this the game? Is it a prank? Is it a fan? Is it like an unfriended sort of situation where, you know, somebody, uh, secretly is doing it or is it supernatural? Uh, but if you've also seen the first movie live streaming, there, there's definitely some tie-ins, uh, to the original film that, that give you a little bit of a hint going in of, of what might be going on. And now what is Clue about? <laughs> <laughs> so Clue, uh, Clue is a whodunit based on the, uh, the Hasbro game. Uh, and, or is it Hasbro? But it's I think Hasbro. It's Parker Brothers. Or Parker actually. Brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, You know, because, yeah, why not? Oh, right, <laughs> you, right? you wouldn't know that, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably a core memory. Um, so, uh, so Clue is, is a 1985 comedy, uh, murder mystery, stars Tim Curry, Leslie Ann Warren, Warren Martin, Mel, Christopher Lloyd, a, a fabulous ensemble cast of, of the characters you know from Clue, Miss Scarlet, Colonel Mustard, etc. And basically, uh, they all get to a mansion. They meet with Mr. Body, who basically tells them you're all being blackmailed and they all have secrets that, you know, they're being blackmailed for secret identities and that sort of thing, secret relationships amongst each other that are not known or talked about outright at the beginning. Uh, And then Mr. Body dies. And so they have to sort of figure out uh, who killed him and where and with what. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's three different endings to Clue, which is also fun. Uh, There's a lot of lore with that, too, uh, in they actually showed only one ending at a time in the theaters. So like yes. people 
mm-hmm. apparently like would see different versions of the movie, which must have been infuriating at the time. Oh, can, <laughs> you can you imagine like walking into work one day and like you're going like the water cooler talk because it's obviously the 1980s, right? So um, you go into work and you're having that conversation. You're like, oh, I went and saw Clue this weekend. Oh, what'd you think of it? And then you're talking about the ending with someone. And they're like, that's not what happens. <laughs> like, like way to create a Mandela effect. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> a large population of, of people. Um, and it makes me wonder how many movies did that and then didn't put the three of them together on the VHS tape <laughs> back to back. And also the movie is only like 85 minutes with all three endings. So it yeah. must have been monumentally short of the theater. No, it's, 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 it's like an hour 37, I think. With God, all three endings. God, even still, it would have been like, what, 80, 80, 85 minutes? I mean, yeah. Of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not bar- barely feature length. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, I think Clue is one of my favorite movies. I watched it as a kid. I literally was obsessed with it in fifth grade to the point where I'd watch it like two to three times a day, back to back to back. I would just rewind it and start over um, for like oh, wow. a month and a half <laughs> to where like to this day, I still sort of know every line. Like I'm a very annoying person to watch it with because I'm just saying all the words aloud <laughs> as it's, as they're happening. It, it is that movie for me. I think everybody has that movie, has one movie that's like that for them um for michael smallwood our lead it's the room uh the room is his movie that he can quote back to forward um which for me actually it is almost the room too i i i really like the room as well um and it is endlessly quotable but yeah no clue is clue has a, a plot structure that i borrowed a lot of (laughs) for this movie because when you have a bunch of characters that are all you know in this mansion even digitally in live screamers it's a video game of a mansion but it's still they're going into this creepy house with lots of lots of rooms uh and people are dying and they're trying to figure out what's going on and you know you kind of have to split up people at one point and that that happens in both films um yeah there's a lot of dna sort of shared between the two even though uh live screamers kills off a lot of its cast because it's a slasher movie so you you're numbers are dwindling as the film progresses and uh, clue does something a little more interesting where people actually do die constantly in clue as well but they bring in new characters they're constantly sort of bringing in side characters to kill so i think the body count is like seven by the end of clue as well it's just none of the main cast (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's a lot of fun your movie's a ton of fun though too um yeah Mm -hmm. i we were both discussing it a little ahead before you got in with us tonight and um, yeah, we're we're big fans. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, what are what are other people saying? Like, if you've taken this, you've been doing the uh, sort of tour version. You've been going off to. I think you were just in Detroit. I think you're going, or did you just come back from uh, London? I just came back from London. Yeah, I went to Cineaxis in Birmingham. Uh, so by way of by way of London, it was a lot of fun. It was a very interesting fest because it was an academic conference. So it was hosted by all of these uh, academics and PhDs in film. And uh, they they had one of the more insightful audiences and Q&As of, you know, film students, um, some of them even from abroad, uh, who had some really interesting things to say about the the sort of things that the movie's about, because I always like to make movies that are about things. And this is sort of true of 
the original live stream was built off my fondness for the community of gamers and live streamers, which I was part of as an audience member. Uh, and having done it myself now for several years and kind of having fostered an audience myself, I've now been on the other side of that. So that's really what live streamers is about. And it's about a lot of the uh, pitfalls and challenges and, and the way that systemically like content creation is a very, very toxic ecosystem. I don't necessarily think that the people in it are toxic all the time. I think sometimes the world's worst people are drawn to it. <laughs> I think I think it can kind of be a, uh, a honeypot for narcissists in a lot of ways and for manipulative people because that direct manipulation of an audience without gatekeepers. Um, but in a lot of cases, it takes normal people and makes them kind of into monsters or at the very least makes them very, very traumatized um, and, and makes them very scarred by the things that they've had to endure in order to sort of survive it and make ends meet in it. So, um, yeah, I've, I've I think the response to it has been pretty positive so far. We've gotten good responsive festivals and on Letterboxd. And um, I've done pretty limited press for it right now. I want to kind of save that for when it comes out next year on home video so that when people talk about it, I can actually send them to go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I think one thing that I, I find interesting is the sort of spectrum of people and, and this was to be expected, but the spectrum of people who are like, oh, it's a fun video game movie. And they appreciate it as sort of this just fun slasher where a lot of people die and the gore is cool. Uh, and then you have people who engage with the themes and engage with the, um, the social commentary and the political commentary and that sort of thing. And there really is like a full a full gamut from one one side to the other. And as long as it's positive, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, you know, like people people can like whatever they want to get out of it. Um, I, I haven't really heard. I think there's I think there's some people who are just sort of like maybe like they 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 know it's not for them necessarily, but they don't dislike it. It's just sort of like, oh, this just isn't like I don't really care about video games or like I'm too old for this or you know whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the worst I've heard about it so far is just. I, my, three out of five is sort of the worst I've heard so far. So we'll see how that holds uh, when it actually comes out to the public. We'll see. We'll see if I can keep my three out of five as my my low end. <laughs> hey, that's Absolutely pretty good, not. <laughs> that's pretty good, though. You're doing pretty good. Like, I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we watch a lot of horror movies and some of them are are not your movie. Not three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is funny. Like I, I left a laugh sometimes at the reviews that I get on the original live stream because it was that way too. I mean, people were really nice to live stream on the festival circuit and in press and stuff. And then it goes out to the masses and anybody can pick it up and they buy it. So they, they feel like they have some sort of, uh, they have a financial investment in it now. So like they, they are a little more critical of it. And I think the funniest one I ever saw on Amazon was a one star review because she wanted to fold laundry and do chores to it, but it required you to read on screen. <laughs> <laughs> and it made her really upset and she gave it a one star. And I was like, okay. I'm, you know, I get a kick out like, so Amazon reviews, right? Years ago, uh, before I was doing any of this, I mean, I was literally selling the DVDs off my shelf to like afford things, right? Like I was packing them up and shipping them out. And I got, I got this like terrible feedback score on one of my things. So I go, but what the hell happened? You know, like I sent it out. It was in great shape. Like, I mean, all of my movies are like pristine because that's who I am as a human being. 
but I go, well, anything could have happened, you know, UPS or, or, you know, the postal service, whomever. And I get super worried and I look at the feedback and the feedback is a, like one star or something. And it's like, packaging wasn't recyclable. Oh my and God. I go, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I bought the $1 thing to put your DVD in and it had to be padded so it wouldn't get wrecked. <laughs> uh, I'm a person, not Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, I mean, yes, okay, fine, maybe I should have gotten recyclable materials, but, you know, I was also trying to beat myself at that point, so. People will find literally anything to criticize, just yes. anything. I, my YouTube reviews on, on my films that are on YouTube really go to just, I, I have I have screenshotted some of them and sent them to friends because they're so wild sometimes, just the random <laughs> shit that people get hung up on. Well, I mean, I think that enters into the theme of live screamers as well. Like, I mean, you were talking about two, both movies, and this was something that I, I thought of, too, when I was watching the new film, is they're very different ends of the spectrum, right? Like, uh, you have this person that's very hopeful about and trying to, like, overcome the bullying and overcome everything else in the first one. And, and in the second one, um, these people are trying to do what they love for a living, and it's sort of turned them into terrible people. Mm-hmm. And I think we had this conversation back when we did the interview, too, about how that gaming culture is a little bit uh, it, at the time. I think the there was a Star Wars game coming out and the developer had uh, I think they were they were accused of sexual misconduct or something. I don't remember who the, the developer was, but um, that was coming out at the time. There was um, I think there were things about somebody on game, somebody that was uh, streaming. I think Ryan Haywood had, that had happened at the point that we talked. That, I think. Yeah. That was the, the Detroit guy, right? Ryan Haywood. That was, um, that was Rooster Teeth. That was a oh. big, big scandal. Cause basically he had like dozens of girls come forward. I mean, literally yeah. dozens. And it was literally sleeping with them at conventions and stuff and not telling any of his coworkers. Like they had no idea why he was always staying an extra night at all of the conventions. Um, hmm. He made up some stuff about like, oh, I, I can't do work on a travel day. I have to have my own travel day. Like <laughs> just, I just have a complex. And it's like, well, the complex was he's bringing girls back to his room. And he was married with kids, all that sort of stuff and did it for like years and years, didn't get caught. Um, so he's just one. Um, there was a voice actor for Genshin Impact um, who got caught talking to girls online and stuff. The, the moment that he got any sort of recognition, fame, it just like he was being really inappropriate in DMs with people. I mean, there's there's literally so many, you can't even name them all, <laughs> unfortunately. And that's kind of what I mean about like this being a honeypot for some of the worst people in the world yeah. is that like when you don't have an agent and... Um, you know, a manager and a, a production studio and like all these people sort of in between you and the fan base to protect the fan base from you and you from the fan base. There's just no boundaries there. You have to be very structured and set your own boundaries and you have to kind of be the adult and the idol in the situation and be like, all right, this is going to be on my terms because there's a power dynamic here that's, you know, lopsided and the, the fan might not necessarily make the best decision about the boundary it really has to be in our hands to say hey i know you really like me and stuff and but like 
I'm not going to exploit that. I'm not going to like ask you to even just to make art for me for free and that sort of stuff. I yeah. mean, I've, I've seen people like, you know, ask their fans to draw their emotes for Twitch for, and they don't compensate them. They just have their little contest or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but your emotes are part of what makes you money. You're, you're making money off this person's art. You know, you shouldn't yeah. take advantage of the fact that they, are probably happy to do you art for free, but doesn't make it ethical. Oh, for sure. And then, um, I mean, we, we're witnessing that all in that. But there's also like one of the one of the things that I noticed in your film too is that the the situation that a lot of these gamers are in too is sort of fed by a machine that doesn't care about them either. Like, yeah. I mean, I can go on Twitch, and I, I have. I've put there's content on there if you want to go find it, but. Um, there it's i can go on twitch i can make my own thing and it's like okay well now you need like ten thousand followers or something before any of that comes into compensation or comes into anything but they'll get rich off my back if somebody likes something that i put up oh yeah yeah i mean twitch twitch takes 50 percent of your earnings which is unheard of oh wow any yeah that's crazy i mean patreon takes eight percent YouTube takes like 20 to 30% maybe, you know, if you were to do a YouTube um, subscriber program. Um, and there's uh, like, like I think OnlyFans takes like 10 to 20%. I'm, I'm not sure, but Twitch takes 50, which is, has faced a lot of credit, even for partners, not just affiliates, but partners, the people who have to work really hard are the upper echelon, upper 1%. You know, they have to apply multiple times, sometimes years. They have to have 75 concurrent viewers for months and years, you know, and, and have an established audience. They only get 50% of every $5 subscription. So that means that if they're making $50,000 in a year, that's $50,000 Twitch keeps. They could be making six figures or close to six figures, but, but Twitch keeps half. So this is part of the reason why it's so unsustainable um, to, to do this. And you even see it with companies like Rooster Teeth or companies like, um, I mean, like College Humor has done pretty well for itself, actually. I think that uh, Dropout TV is a really good rebrand for them that seems to be pretty successful. But you see a lot of companies where they... They have merch and they have ads and they have subscription services and they, they do all these things in their ecosystem to try to make money. But they're also outputting three videos a day. They have a team of 100 people. They have editors. They have marketers. They have all these things. And it's like all these people have to be paid salary. All these people have to be paid health insurance. Like this whole empire that you've built that requires that much labor to keep afloat millions of dollars a year that you have to be making. And there's no studio support. There's no higher power that's coming down and feeding that to you. It's all coming from the audience up. And it, with the algorithms and social media and stuff collapsing on us in, in the past year or two, it's it's harder than ever to actually reach your audience and keep them engaged. You have a fantastic audience of people. Like I've obviously sat in on some of the things that you've done for live streamers. I also... I've sat in time to time when you guys are playing uh, the the pigeon. Uh, oh my god, hot of my boyfriend! We did that <laughs> to raise money for live screamers, by the way. If people don't know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I sat in on that. That was that was fun. I watched you and Michael do karaoke or something one night. I think, oh yeah, too. we've done that too. <laughs> uh, it's just like you you are very entertaining. Your entire Octopunk Media. Uh, 
I won't call it a conglomerate yet, but hopefully you get there someday. <laughs> I'm too uh, similar for it to be a conglomerate <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but yes, uh, I think Octopunk is awesome, and I, I definitely think that people should uh, check them out on on probably YouTube if <laughs> if what you're, if everything about Twitch is is as you say it is. Like, what's is that just part of the game though? That like you have to be on Twitch, like the because that's usually where I watch you like maybe it's just an easier place for like someone like me who's doesn't know uh, you know where else to go I mean unfortunately Twitch kind of does own the market on live streaming uh YouTube it's just not the same over there and I've tried both um Twitch was going through some harassment issues a while back and I didn't want to deal with it so I I switched to YouTube streaming for a while and despite having five, 10 times the audience size follower numbers on YouTube I was pulling about the same audience size on my live streams um so Twitch whatever they do to get people in um and keep them subscribing like people are just used to it in a way where they do subscribe easier. They it's more profitable. Also, I just I find the back end tools on Twitch to be more preferable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and YouTube, it's it's a little clunky. It's coming along. They've made a lot of strides in the past year or two to upgrade their features in the chat to to have like emotes and to have gift subs and the, the sort of stuff we're sort of used to on Twitch. But uh, like the mobile app still kind of sucks. So like you'll be trying to watch a live stream on mobile, but like the chat takes up half the screen. And, it, you know, th- there's some ergonomics that Twitch does win. And um, so we sort of stay on Twitch for that reason. And um, I have found that there are certain types of things that work better on YouTube versus on Twitch or certain things that work better even on Patreon than yeah. on Twitch. Um, and a while ago, I made the decision to do all sort of educational behind the scenes streams on Patreon. So that's locked to my $5 patrons. Um, and then uh, the only thing I do on Twitch is entertaining stuff. Like I, I'll do gameplay, I'll do Octopunk Monthly Update, which is our monthly sort of news show and update show about what we've got in the pipeline trailers and stuff, first reveals and first looks. Uh, and then like if we ever do Ships and Giggles, which is our improv show or Breakout Rolls, which is our tabletop RPG show, uh, that goes on Twitch as well. So Twitch is only for fun stuff it's not for like behind the scenes or anything educational or edutainmenty um it's just sort of the established like shows and like the charity stream for instance that we've already um that we, we we're used to doing um charity streams especially are great on twitch because of all the uh the integrations that they have it makes it really easy to raise money for charity on twitch and um like a lot of what's it gonna say there was something else with charity streams. Edit this out. I forgot. I know I had a point. I lost it. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. No worries. Um, but no, uh, I just get a kick out. Like, so the fact that you do, you've done all of that, like you're doing charity streams, you're doing entertainment showcases that are wildly different from one another. You're traveling with your movie. You're, when do you even have time to make a movie, Michelle? <laughs> uh, so that's, that's something I've sort of reckoned with for a while now. Um, you know, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot of how do I make my life more sustainable to focus on actually making the things that I want to make and not be so bogged down in the logistics. Um, and so I've, I've actually spent the last couple of days sort of planning out like month by month all the things I'm going to do next year. And next year is shaping up to be really really cool but also very very packed and very challenging because i'm really putting the media at octopunk media i i'm doing one new film 
which I can't talk about in specifics right this second. They haven't put out the press release for it yet. I think like maybe in the next day or two, but I don't know. Uh, oh my God. No, right? <laughs> so close. We're so close. But I can, I can say that basically we've been given a grant uh, or selected for a grant for the South Carolina Film Commission. That's a short film grant. Um, nice. I can say that we're doing an animated movie in Unreal Engine. It's a short film. So, um, and we're going to utilize motion capture and that sort of thing too with it, which is going to be really, really fun. There's a motion capture volume right up the street for me. Uh, and I'm really excited to be able to actually get to use it. So, yeah. So I'm going to be dealing with motion capture and animation, making a full on film uh, short in uh, in Unreal with no live action elements, just like a, like an animated short. So we're dealing with that. That's sort of an open secret, not like fully official yet, but like we might be doing some things in theater next year too. Um, Ooh, that's I interesting. Can't yeah. go into specifics, <laughs> yeah. probably that's right fine. here, but working, working in theater a little bit. Um, and also uh, working in game development. Like I've got a couple game projects too that I'm, I'm planning and working on, uh, as well as... Uh, trying to get off Patreon and build my own new platform, which some more information will be coming out about that uh, in January. Uh, again, sort of like an open secret. The Octopunks at, who came to Detroit, I talked about it there, but um, kind of keeping it a little close to the vest in, in public forums. But yeah, essentially Patreon, like all of their social media platforms, is really fledgling right now. And I think it's about due time that I build my own sort of hosting place where I can do a one-stop shop for all the different things that I do. Uh, and so working on getting that in development for next year too. So lots of different projects and none of them live action. Film. <laughs> um, and then of course the release of live screamers next year too. Um, and live scream also the original film, I get the rights back next year. So Hell yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hopefully going to work on trying to get that a little bit more out there and accessible to people who haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Because right now they've kind of been a little bit in transactional VOD limbo, just kind of sitting on Amazon for rent for the last couple of years. And that's like the only way you can watch it. Um, but, you know, there's Tubi, there's, you know, YouTube with ads, there's uh, there's a lot of different things, uh, a lot of other TVOD platforms even that uh, we're, we're not using as well as foreign platforms. We're only domestic right now. So I'd love to give that out to foreign markets as well. So um, yeah, some, some old and new next year as well. <laughs> Excellent. No, this, that's that I'm I, like impressed, like not even impressed, but like overwhelmed <laughs> with, with your schedule. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's it, like, I, I was literally like marking down all the things I needed to do, like literally day by day. Like, do I have enough days in the calendar to do all this? And it's on the razor's edge. But I, at one point found like five free days in April and I was like, maybe I should use that to finally get my Juris Sanguinis, like Italian birthright citizenship. <laughs> like, maybe <laughs> <I> should... <laughs> personal task that I've wanted to do for like two years that uh, my, my father actually started on and did a lot of the work for me, um, hunting down like our great grandfather's birth certificates and Ellis Island certificate and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I need to like hunt all that stuff down. Cause basically I, I am, Italian American, then I could get a Italian uh, citizenship and get an EU passport if I pursue this. Um, and I feel like that's something that could be useful in the next few years. So yeah. I should, oh, yeah, why not? Yeah, I should probably get on that at some point when I'm not working on five different things. 
because I, I squeezed it into April. We'll see. <laughs> You're like, hopefully there'll only be four things in April. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, we should start probably talking about Clue. Uh, we've, we've given a little bit to live streamers now. We'll probably come back to live streamers a little bit through this conversation too. But uh, we should probably start talking about Clue. Now, JP, this was your first time yes, seeing the film. Was. And now, do you want to <laughs> tell Michelle what you told me? <laughs> <laughs> So at first, so, so what, like when the movie started, I, you know, it had this, this, this quirky charm to it that was, you know, I, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's not like completely unique, but it's definitely not what you normally get from like most comedies today, at least, you know, you know, it, it had interesting characters. It was even a bit of a, a bit of a nostalgic feel to it because, like you know, when I was a kid, you know, I played the game a little bit. Um, yeah, so 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 when it started, I was liking it. You know, I was laughing. I thought it was funny. Uh, I liked the characters. Um, then I have to be honest. As the movie went on, the charm kind of just wore off for me. Um, and then by the time we got to the three endings, I thought that was the dumbest thing. Like you know, like the first ending is oh, this is what might have happened. Oh, then maybe oh, maybe it was this other thing. Oh, but then this is what really happened. Like why would you do that? Because like, 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 that just end. <laughs> He's like, no, it was an hour and 37 minutes. Yeah. I remember everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he says that to me a lot about movies that I pick all the time. So, like, <laughs> just, it's fine. How dare you say yeah. that like, I always <laughs> sat there for 85 minutes? How dare you? The, yeah. Like, what I what I find funny is like so I I think it's just like the game like in all honesty like if you played different renditions of the game you're gonna have different things happen every time it's not gonna always be Mrs Peacock it's not always yeah. gonna be yeah you know, but that works <laughs> yes but just because something works for 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 a game doesn't mean that it works for a movie and when you're adapting something from one medium into another you can't bring it over exactly you have to adapt it in a way that works for that medium and having three different endings just i don't think works for a movie i think it's 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 obnoxious what did you you feel about that last resident evil film that came out the the welcome to record oh i thought it was it was fun but it was kind of kind of hollow Oh, I thought you really liked it because no, that I mean, is like I, 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 literally I, I, the game. I enjoyed it. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so when I was a kid, I played uh, Resident Evil Two yeah. for about a week because I couldn't get past like the first two minutes. So I gave it to my cousin. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what the games are like. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, no, I just, I, I think that. I don't, you not necessarily, how can you adapt a board game? Like you're not necessarily adapting the board game, right? Like you're coming up with different scenarios. And then on top of that, you have some of the best dialogue coming out of this film. Um, what, what is it? He said, there's a line that he said in the, uh, Wadsworth says in <laughs> it's like towards the end of it. He was like, I-, I was in the hall. I know because I was there. There. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's some good lines, yeah. Little yeah. dry humor things, like all throughout. Mm-hmm. Like even when uh, Professor, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Colonel Mustard says something like, "Are you trying to make me look like an idiot?" No, you could do that on your your own. <laughs> like there's just these little one liners in the film that are fantastic. And then on top of that, you have the timing. There's there's a ton of timing jokes, even just at the beginning with the, the shit on the shoes bit, like where everybody walks in and they do all do the same thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think every one of the reasons I really like the film is that every actor is doing the most and it's a fun movie for me to like watch every watch a different person every time because hmm. particularly Mr. Green like the faces hmm. and things he's doing in the background of every shot is so fun uh, because they're all they all seem like they're having a really good time they all are just doing the most and one of my favorite lines by the way is do you like Kipling the Scarlet? Sure I'll eat anything yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't get as a kid, by the way. That was one of the jokes that went over my head until I was an adult. And there's there was one I watched it the other day uh, to prep for this, and um, I there was a joke in there that I caught for the first time. It's it's wild that I'm still at this point, sort of like picking up on things, like even now after having seen it a hundred times. I think a lot of the dialogue moves so fast that it's yeah, definitely. It's, there, like, it demands a rewatch if you're really interested in like catching all the different like one-liners. Oh, for sure. Yeah this this is a mm-hmm. movie that if you if you've only seen it like one time, you're you're really missing a lot of it. So JP, you know, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Stop two thirds of the way through and be like, I know how it ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Get to the the first mm-hmm. ending and then just cut it. And then it'll be like a, you you start in the theater in 1985. Would have loved it in 1985. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It was only one ending. It would have been a lot better. <laughs> oh, uh, you said something about Mr. Green. Uh, mm-hmm. So when he arrives, when, it's Michael McKean. When he arrives, mm-hmm. uh, at the thing, first thing that I think of is John Ritter. Like, because he looks just like him. And I don't think that you, oh, you yeah. ever get Michael McKean and John Ritter confused, but these two look exactly alike. And I get a kick out of that because his character is a homosexual in, in the film up, up until the end. And then it's almost like he took the mannerisms of Jack. Is it Trapper or what was his name from uh, three's company? And it's, no. he's just applying them throughout, throughout that. So he's literally stealing John, John Ritter's bit from three's company and, and applying it to clue. Like, and it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch, but I do, there is a great line that comes out of it. And it's when, would anybody like to uh, escort me into the other room? And it's uh, the other two go, the other two guys, Christopher Boyd and Martin okay. Muller, like, I'm like, yes, yes. And he's like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and of course he, he pulls the straw to be with a vet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it is that there are, uh, I think all of this cast, I think this cast is brilliant. Um, right down to Colleen Camp, who plays yeah. the uh, Yvette. Uh, she's brilliant in the film, too. Like, just little things that she does and gets and sort of gets away with. There, what is her line in the film? We, I was frightened. I oh. also drank the cognac. I also drank the cognac, yeah. And then, wee wee. No, I just got to powder my nose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is, there's a ton of them. What is it? All day today, I was doing the counting because I watched this movie last night. I was like, no, one plus two plus two plus one. Oh, I, I, <laughs> just, that's probably the, the, the line I say from the movie the most. Like every single time I'm counting anything ever, it's just like one plus two plus one plus two plus one. <laughs> <laughs> just find yourself sitting there. Yeah, it's there's it's infinitely quotable as a film it does have some good quotes I'll, I'll give it that yeah flames on the side of my face is probably the most famous it's, one. Oh my god flames i love madeline khan by the way like so <laughs> anything that she's in i will absolutely watch and it's funny because that's sort of how i first knew who leslie ann warren was it wasn't from clue Same. i hadn't seen clue i had seen a movie mel brooks had done 
with uh with Leslie and Rogan called Life Stinks mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it's probably by today's standards, it's probably not gonna fly because it, it's literally about two homeless people. Well, one's a millionaire that gets thrown out and uh has to live as a homeless person for a few days. And it's, you know, I'm sure there's some some stuff now that's not so great. <laughs> but that was the first time I saw Leslie Ann Warren. I was like, where has this person been? Like, and then it turns out like she had this whole catalog that I just had not seen because I was like, what, 10 years old. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. And then uh, she showed up later on In Plain Sight and stuff like that. And Leslie Ann Warren is just fantastic. And even to this day, I see her in things and I'm like, oh, good. She's, you know, like she's a character. She's someone that I look forward to seeing in films because she's always, it's always a different character. It's always something different with her. And uh it's yeah i i just have a lot of uh i have a lot of respect for that actress and madeline khan too if jp have you seen blazing saddles i have not no michelle (laughs) unfortunately not (laughs) (laughs) michael whaley one of my eps is probably just like he's literally writing a movie right now that is like his love letter to blazing saddles (laughs) (laughs) so uh, well there's another movie probably couldn't be made today but um let me tell you that she is she is the height like one of the just the absolute draws to that movie for me and she knocks me out every single time laughing like so uh madeline i think she she died way too soon i i loved everything that she did so yeah i don't know where to go from there flames on the side of my face but yeah the, the actresses the actresses in this film anyway that's sort of where where i was are just yeah no, uh, absolutely star-studded cast i mean like the fact that christopher fucking lloyd is sort of like an afterthought in like the cat yeah I mean, kind, kind of, of. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i always sort of like forget he's there a little bit like underneath like the female performances and then t- tim curry um, which really kind of outshine a lot of the uh, the other ones that are more more famous, like Martin Mull and Christopher Lloyd. Mm. Well, they were big TV at people at that time. I mean, Christopher Lloyd had come from Taxi and all of that. This was made the same year Back to the Future came out. So, really? like, yeah, or, yeah. or this yeah. was, uh, yeah, I think this released the same year. It released. It came out the same year. Yeah. So yeah, you you know he's not famous yet is really what it comes down to. Christopher Lloyd isn't as big as you know we know him. Yeah, exactly. true. Yeah. True. He was just sort yeah. of the replacement for Latka on on Taxi at this point. <laughs> so and it's weird course, seeing Christopher Lloyd without white hair. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like a middle aged guy. I know Mark yeah, yeah. teenage witch. And actually, when I was a kid, he was like the one actor that I knew. Like in when I would go back and watch this, I mean, I knew Tim Curry because you know Wild Thornberries. Um, <laughs> he was Nigel Thornberry. It's amazing um, where people know people from. It's like <laughs> never like that's that's a good one. But like for me, like Tim, like Tim Curry for me, like probably first time notice at him was Home Alone two. Oh, that's like, he's in that. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, he's the he's the um, right? receptionist or concierge. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been ages since I've seen that one. I mean, the normal yeah. answer is Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror, but, yeah. Born <laughs> in 1992, it was smashing. <laughs> yeah, smashing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for me, my uh, my like quintessential uh, Tim Curry role is actually is also from 1985. I think it's uh, Lord of Darkness in Legend. 
Mm. Yeah, there's that's there too. Um, <laughs> I saw what was it? I saw when did I see Legend? I saw Legend on like WLV, which was like a, a T. I saw it on TV. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way because no one's gonna know yeah, like, yeah. the call letters <laughs> <laughs> from Boston, the Boston call letters for a TV station. Um, hey, we all know those, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I saw that years ago like legend was one of those films that i was like oh, is this based on legend of zelda like because that's how into that stuff i was when i was a kid so and to be honest with you it could have been <laughs> i i uh i never played zelda or any of the any of the legend of zelda games i, I was a mario guy <laughs> well hey nintendo family it's still fine i mean true true yeah yeah <laughs> I thought you were going to go off on him there for a second. You know, that's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another uh, something I did want to ask you about live streamers, though, is the uh, computer gaming that uh, you programmed for for the movie uh, is like here's live stream. And I thought that was like really good. But it's like the PS1 graphics to like the the Unreal Engine in this one. Um, how much of that was just you doing like just grinding it out to, to get uh so like how much of it was just time uh yeah yeah most of it i mean i think that the original live scream you know i built those games in like three weeks i was kind of rushed um so i just sort of bare bones it and got the shot and then didn't really i mean i i can't even quantify how much more i know now as a filmmaker than i did in 2018 too like i didn't even know that a feature couldn't be 65 minutes when i was making a film in 2018 so there's you know you don't know what you don't know um Listen, I, I think that that's kind of no because we've definitely seen movies that are like 65 66 minutes like come tell on, distributors man. that yeah. please <laughs> I, I no, there, are, there are plenty of horror films like that yeah i don't know what they're talking <laughs> about so <laughs> I literally made the credits longer to make it 70 so somebody (laughs) would distribute it. Um. (laughs) Didn't we have one from Severin this year that was like 45 minutes? Uh, I mean, yes, but that's technically considered a short. So it's um, To Fire You Come At Last, was that it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a 75-minute film on YouTube that some of my comments fondly call a short film. So that's (laughs) fun. (laughs) I I don't know in what universe 75 minutes is a short, but cool. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, no, it was, it took me a year to do the game development for, um, for live screamers. And while I don't model and I don't texture, I still build all the environments out of the bricks that I have uh, and that I purchased from the marketplace or other stores. And um, you know, the programming, particularly when we have, nine custom-made characters with the metahumans program that unreal offers uh and getting them all to you know like if you have a shot where it's it's a multiplayer game so you know your character pov is going through the mansion and you know you have four other characters in frame walking around doing their things looking at things uh you have to program all your characters to do those pathings and you have to keep running it until they decide not to like walk into a vase or something uh, and, and, and also you have to get your computer to actually not melt when you're trying to run a, a 4k monitor that's doing that in real time with good FPS and, uh, capturing at the same time. So, uh, I did have to make a hardware upgrade at one point because literally unreal was just giving me issues. I did not have the video memory to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. 
uh, and even then, like I was, even with my upgrade, I was like pushing it to the edge, pushing it <laughs> to the razor's edge. Uh, and there's still some shots I wanted, to, I want to redo in the film as it is now. I ended up um, trial and erroring a lot because I, I did a lot of real time capture, and uh, you know, with the POVs actually puppeting, you know, my character. And the frame rate just wouldn't have it. I tried to, you know, interpolate it, still wasn't having it. So I ended up having to redo pretty much every shot in the film, gameplay shot in the film, in what we call the sequencer, which is basically the cutscene maker. So it's pre-rendered. Like instead of me doing a screen capture of gameplay, it like I basically put a, a digital camera and then set up the scene and then I render it. So it, it plays the same way and it's it's full on my control and it, the frame rate's good and the quality is good and everything. But, you know, it probably takes 15 minutes to render a seven or eight second clip. So uh, it takes, <laughs> takes quite a while. So for a, you know, 90 minute film. <laughs> yeah, you're looking yeah. at 150 minutes a minute. So, uh, and for 80 minutes of gameplay. So even if you say two hours per... 80 minutes you're looking at uh, um, 160 hours yeah. hours something yeah. like that <laughs> just rendering not even the setup so yeah it, a lot of overnights a lot of overnight render farms for that for sure my god yeah and on top of your already busy schedule like we discussed that's uh, <laughs> it's a like little difficult yeah computer got really really rebellious at certain parts of the process it was like please i've been awake for four days let me sleep <laughs> yeah i, I can't say i blame it <laughs> my, my computer says that to me all the time i'm like okay i'll i'll edit the podcast okay i did an interview i gotta do that so there's video <laughs> software open obs is open like <laughs> just, just get all these blue screens of death and be like why isn't my computer happy and it's like because it's been on for a week and half of that week it's been rendering 4k footage <laughs> Yeah, but we got through it. We got through it. I'll, I'll upgrade again at some point because uh, my upgrade to my GPU wasn't even like the biggest, best thing. It was like just enough to get me through it because even that upgrade was $900. So to, to fully upgrade it, um, it would have been $1,500 graphics card instead of $900. And I, I would have had to build a whole new computer because like literally my computer as it is now, like it can't fit. They make graphics cards so big now that my case doesn't fit it. <laughs> I've seen them. They're like the size of like Betamax tapes. They're like ridiculous. They're huge. Really? They yeah. weigh so much too. So like you kind of have to get like a kickstand to like put under it or else it'll like pull on your motherboard if you have your, your computer. If you have it in the side of yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so wow. yeah, I'll probably build a new rig at some point um, and then migrate over my my power supply that was the other thing i had to buy a new power supply for it too because <laughs> the one that it kept like my computer kept shorting out and i was like why what's happening and it's like because this alone takes 750 watts just for this piece of hardware <laughs> and my and my thing is like an 850 watt power supply so we up we upgrade a little bit of that too trial and error see just things just things that you learn through the process of making a movie it's like you tackle one problem and then another problem prop cops up and then you tackle that one and then eventually you don't have any more problems. Yeah, you tackled all the problems. the way to you do it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, so this was this was a more expensive movie than you thought it would be. <laughs> oh, in so many ways. I mean, like normally, normally my spouse uh, is the composer, and so that's free. And then my spouse was too busy being a music therapy student, and so I was like, okay, gotta come up with the money to hire another composer to do the other three fourths of the movie. Uh, so I ended up reaching out to Landon Noblock, who, in partnership with um, his his uh, musical partner Sophia Stone did some really, really great music for the film. So definitely a worthwhile investment, not one I regret at all, because it is, uh, it's the only score we've had so far that's gotten nominated a couple times uh, at a couple different festivals. So really, really oh, happy nice. that they did. So you get to throw that in your spouse's face? Well, so... <laughs> 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 it is funny because so a lot of the work that they did um austin my, my spouse like they they recycled some things that austin had done from um the original live screen so some of the compositions are repurposed and he did still do the first like 20 minutes of the movie so he is credited as a composer in the film he gets the nominations too but there he is a little bit, he is a little bit funny about it. he's like they did the heavy lifting on that one and i'm like <laughs> It was, you're still, you helped. You, you, you're still, you're still credited. You're still on there. A lot of it was covers of your music. Own it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. If, if, if it's covers of stuff, then, you know, he did the heavy lifting. They just, yeah. I think, I think on the actual, uh, I think on the actual cue sheet, it's probably going to like weirdly work out to be 50, 50 with, uh, with some of the repurposed stuff, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was really, really good. I, I was really happy with um, with the new themes that they came up with. All the new stuff is really great. Um, there's a lot of character motifs in the film. Um, a lot of characters kind of have their own theme, which can be sort of spoilery in a little bit if you listen closely enough, because some of their characters, some of the character themes play during certain moments and you're like, that doesn't make sense for that character's theme to be playing right now, unless. Um... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> There's something for people to keep an eye out for, I suppose. No, what's um what's interesting is I've gone back to the start of your film. I've watched the start of your film multiple times now, like uh, because it's really. I think the the start of the film is really set up extremely well, uh, where you're meeting the characters and they're kind of all giving you their little insecurities while mm-hmm. you're getting that set up. You, you don't realize they're doing it though. And it's, and when you relate this to, to clue as well, like, I mean, it's sort of the same thing. Like they don't really start talking about their problems until Miss <laughs> Peacock, who doesn't speak until that moment, like starts like spouting off stuff about her, uh, is her husband that works in the Senate or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, and uh, then they all start like, sort of giving a little information away and we kind of get that at the beginning of live screamers too especially when um what is her name the the um lucy yes lucy comes in to do the the gaming with them so you get the you get that sort of like shot of nemo when she says something about oh the fan art when that you get that moment where nemo kind of has that sense of dread and paranoia that he talks about later uh in a it's like a sort of side eye to MJ who sort of like looks at, looks back at him and goes, okay. 
So there's just these like little moments in there that like, if you've already seen, if you've seen the film, you can go back and you can really appreciate the, all the little nuances that you've thrown in there. And I yeah, really I, enjoy that. Thank you. I really like writing character introductions and ensembles. Um, and it's so funny that one of the most interesting comments that I've gotten so far um, from another filmmaker who's seen the movie uh, is that it reminded him of Independence Day. And I was like, that's so interesting to me because Independence Day is another one of my favorite films. Um, like I think it has one of the most sublime plot structures, particularly for an ensemble film like ever made. And um, like the three act structure and it works so fucking well, the way that the characters are introduced specifically as some of the best character introductions of any movie. Hmm. Um, and so for him to like pick up on that, I thought was funny. Cause like, this movie like doesn't feel like independence day at all. Like there's, there's no sort of like common DNA really on the surface, but it is funny that like the thing I appreciate most about independence day, it being one of my favorite movies, like when I was writing that opening scene, I was thinking of independence day. I was sort of thinking about how do I introduce nine people in five minutes and have you understand completely who these people are without you getting confused or forgetting people's names or like, like anybody getting lost in the shuffle. And so that was kind of a point of reference for me when I was writing the script was Independence Day and Clue, as you say, cause like Clue does a really good job of this as well, sort of introducing everybody one at a time. Luckily with Clue, you sort of already know the characters because they're the familiar characters mm -hmm. from the, the board game. But in the context of this movie, like what is, what is Miss Scarlet in this movie? What is, Professor Plum in this movie, like what is Miss Peacock in this movie like? Like that's very, you know, very original to the film. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that like when you do an ensemble piece, it's one of the hardest parts to get right. And there are a lot of horror ensembles out there, um, and it's I don't see it that often in the indie circuit where I I really learn how to distinguish all the different characters and really like all of the different characters sort of right out the gate. You know, usually it's about halfway through a movie that I sort of understand, okay, like these are the ones that are sort of disposable and that I don't need to care about. And then these are the ones that like I've, I've grown attached to and I've grown to like, and I really understand. I remember the, their names and that sort of stuff. Um, I didn't want that with this. I very much wanted everybody to, really immediately get it in terms of who they're watching and what the interpersonal dynamics are too. Like what, what characters have rivalries with each other, because in order for you to sort of remember that like John and Dice don't like each other, you have to know who John and Dice are. <laughs> like you have to sort yeah. of understand where they are in the room and who they are as people and sort of what their role is. And now you can sort of contextualize their relationship. Um, and like the relationship between like Gwen and Taylor or like, uh, like Lucy and Taylor or Lucy and everybody in the room, because Lucy has a very unique relationship with everybody there being the fan. Mm -hmm. Um, and one thing that you might pick up on, on a later watch is that, um, it was very specific about this with Neoma Sanchez, who plays the character that at, at some point in time, Lucy points out to every person there, um, something that they are kind of something that they want to hear. So in the case of Dice, it's like, oh, I was the one who made that fan art. And Dice is a person who very much feels unseen by the fans. So for, for them to be in the room with the, the girl who made them fan art is 
that makes Lucy special to them. And for, for Gwen, it was, Hey, we, we like you for more than just your looks. You know, you're very funny. You're good at games, that sort of thing. That's kind of what Gwen wants to hear. So um, Lucy kind of being the audience, she's that observational lens. She can also provide insights uh, for you as the audience too, into how you sort of should be valuing and or, or the, the inner worlds of these characters and maybe what's not being seen on the surface, particularly as they're in their, streamer persona mode uh after that opening scene that makes a lot of sense i i really didn't i guess i didn't think of it that way but yes i mean she's very much sort of the the moral compass of the film too uh which goes right up until the very end of it so that that does that makes a lot more sense you saying that because i didn't it really just didn't think of it that way i suppose <laughs> and you're yeah. totally right that there's definitely a lot of things in that opening scene that you you pick up on later, particularly with Nemo. Um, Nemo's behavior is very, very informed by stuff that you learn about him down the line. Um, without getting too far into it, Nemo is a person who's a little guarded around fans, um, and you find out why later in the movie. But he's he's like that from the beginning. He seems very kind of in his corner, not really wanting to engage. He's the last one to go up and greet Lucy, and while everybody else is sort of hugging her or spinning her around or cracking jokes, you know, whatever fits their personality and how they treat fans. Uh, Nemo comes over and gives her a handshake. Yes, I, I, yeah, you <laughs> notice that right away. It's the, it's the hello and eye contact and then scoots right back over to his chair. Yeah. yeah and so... it's perfect because I think if you're that guarded, that's exactly how you would be. You'd be, you'd be wanting to be mm-hmm. open, but you're definitely like, that's the limit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, oh, to be honest, I mean, Nemo is, there's a few characters in the film who are sort of pieces of me. Um, and Nemo has a lot of me in him. And that is, that is kind of one of the parts I feel, I feel like I've been very frustrated over the years of the toll that um, being sort of a public figure takes and, and not having that kind of automatic boundary between the audience because I feel like sometimes the only way to engage your audience is to not have boundaries is to treat them like they are your best friends and to blur that line and to um, dump your entire personal life on social media and not you know have not keep anything to yourself yeah. uh, and if you're if you're a little bit like hey this is my work and my personal life's over here and like I'm really glad that you like my stuff and support me and I will keep making things that hopefully you will enjoy but we're not friends then you come off as frigid and then you come off as cold and then you come off as sociopathic and then you come off as uninteresting and unsexy and boring, particularly if you're a woman. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that is something that I've sort of like struggled with for the last three or four years. And I think that Nemo is in a very similar place of like wanting to connect on a human level because he does genuinely appreciate um the life that he's able to live and the people who like his work and, you know, the, the nice messages that he gets and the fan art that he gets and all that sort of stuff, but still feeling like he's had one or two bad experiences and also like, doesn't want to pay the toll. Doesn't want to pay the toll that it was required to like keep that up and be sort of at the front of the pack, the way that like Gwen or Taylor um, or even like Zelda to a degree are. And it's funny because I've known you for a couple of years now and I mean, not, <laughs> pretty much on the same level as, <laughs> as your fans probably do like probably that that's about it you, you, you well, got journalistic integrity yeah, which fans yeah. don't have 
I I hope so. I try. Uh, but the the idea is, I know you on on this level. You know, like we're not. You know, we're not close. We're not besties. We're just. You know, we just hang out occasionally to promote your stuff. The <laughs> but the it's that sort of idea it's i because i've had a couple of times too where i'm like oh you know thanks and that's that's pretty much it and that's how you leave it like you try to be nice but sometimes there's that you know people think they know you better than they actually do there's there's a weird uh disconnect there now you did say that there was several characters that and i think i see a couple of the other ones like it definitely um MJ, I think, has uh, quite a few moments where I go, that's, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I get that. Because I think it's because <laughs> of the stuff that we talked about. But um, it is it, it is funny that Michael Smallwood critic doesn't criticize me, but has pointed out, he's like, yeah, you put all your rants into Dice. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, Dice is the character that you wrote to yell at the audience. And I was like, Okay, maybe maybe a little bit. Some some of the things that they some of the things that they go through I can't personally relate to, um, because they they are some demographics that I don't personally you know have to have to deal with um, in the gaming sphere. But I, I I do think that the the idea of again like being the sort of like the unsexy queer with boundaries who isn't here to like euphoria all over your timeline with the glitter and my tits held. <laughs> and, and also like, you know, here's all of my feelings and all of my personal like opinions and hot takes and 20% controversy all the time. I'm just here to do a good job, go home, live a normal life. And, you know, hopefully that's enough. Um, it like that is definitely like something I connect to a lot. And particularly when it's like, Oh, I am in this demographic of like being queer, but then like the audience really wants to veer left into the like really pretty white cis het boys who aren't queer and like making them a queer icon instead. Yeah. And it's like, but like actual queer people who are out and make queer content are like over here. Why, why do you want so bad for Timothy Chalamet to be gay (laughs) (laughs) like why are we not enough like why like why is it that like oh my god this like as far as we know ostensibly like maybe closeted doesn't owe us you know coming out not trying to say that by any means but like you know people who at the very least are not like representing that openly to the public um like, like, why, 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 why is it always, why is there always a handsome white boy? I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it seems like, like, um, in that context, the in in the film, the that the joke is like the thing that draws them versus like the actual person. Yeah, because they like, and I would say that if anything is misinterpreted more in the movie, like commonly that I've seen, it is John and Davy. Like a lot of, I've seen a lot of like, oh, they seem to have secret feelings for each other. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what, what? the movie's about. <laughs> yeah, it's um the it it kind of felt like maybe Davy, but not it wasn't reciprocated. Like that, that's so the... I've heard I've heard that before too, which is kind of kind of funny. I think so. 
a, a little bit of a, a misdirect as well. Cause like, I think, I think what lends to that interpretation is the NPC Davy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of like, Oh, it's a dating sim with your NPC. Does your NPC have secret feelings? Cause your NPC is being like really fatal attraction right now. Does, yeah. <laughs> does Davy have secret feelings? And, and no, it's, it's more just like, Oh, I'm punishing you for engaging with the, the, the fake narrative yeah. yeah i gotcha um and and really like this is kind of lost in the shuffle i think if, if there's any individual character who gets a little bit lost in the shuffle in terms of his individual storyline it probably is john um which is okay because like john and davy as a unit still kind of have their own plot line um but john as an individual also has some stuff going on he's very burnt out and exhausted um and he's sort of offsetting a lot of his sanity to davy a lot of davy's kind of handling a lot of like the mental load of being on camera and and being extroverted because john's actually a pretty introverted person yeah Davy does all the heavy lifting on the talking and John yeah. just sort of like sits there and does the thing. And plays Except the, for the chainsaw. straight guy, yeah. <laughs> he does have the great chainsaw line though, so. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, I think that comes across in all, really just that one scene at the beginning where he's like, "Where? when will I have time to to play other games with yeah. like, what other friends, you know? And, and like I would say, Christopher Trinidad had a, a pretty good... Um, like character contribution to that opening scene, going back to that very opening scene where we were learning about all the characters for the first time. Um, he, he was, he, he wasn't originally going to have coffee in that scene. he's just like, what if I just like act like I'm half asleep and I'm just like chugging coffee and like, I'm trying. And I was like, I don't like props. And so, <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't an improv class, Christopher. I don't like props. And so, but he was just like, let me sell you on it. So he, he did it with the coffee and I was like, yeah, okay we can keep it. I like it. So, um, and I'm really glad that we did because I think that, um, it, it does help sort of set up the idea that like, John is the guy who didn't sleep last night. (laughs) Like John is the guy who is just like dragging ass like to work and is barely even awake in that opening scene. And then they start rolling and it's like, he comes to life and it's like me and Davey, we're bros. I play the games. He watches. And then maybe we'll kiss, you know, it's like, it's like a whole act comes to life. And that was another fun thing to do with the cast actually is just sort of like figure out when after that opening five minutes where they're not, you know, in front of the audience, um, and then they they do go in front of the audience and they they sort of, you know, not go live because it's not live, but, themselves. but, but they, they break the fourth wall and and they, they are aware that this is footage that will be seen by an audience. Um, they all pretty much change in some way. Um, Dice is kind of the only character who doesn't. Uh, but the one thing that changes about them is that um, they don't do anything extra. They hold back. Like that's that's kind of their one change is that instead of like being an open contempt of the room, they just kind of grit their teeth and make jokes about it because they can't actually be as visceral and and say what they really feel until uh, the audience sort of goes away. But yeah, everybody else just becomes like bigger and pretends to like each other and like all this stuff. Um and and even Zelda being one of the nicer characters, you know, even even she like is sort of like complaining about the sponsor ad read, like in, yeah. <laughs> like before they go live. Um, so so yeah, they all they all sort of show their true colors in that opening five minutes too, which I think is is fun because you know introducing characters 
in this context of like live streaming. Cause like we introduced Scott, you know, Atkinson in the, in the first live stream, you first see him when he's live. Like you really don't see yeah. him uh, at all before he begins the stream. So the only version of him, you know, until shit starts getting real is the streamer persona. And then we unpack that and he, he gets deconstructed and like starts to go crazy and lose the, persona as the and become more real as the as the danger increases and the movie goes on whereas this one i was like you need to know the real versions of these people like you need to see the shift because um i i, th I think that that was really essential to understanding the sort of interpersonal dynamics of the room before we start really getting into things and throwing gameplay at you on top of characters we'll start <laughs> with characters and we'll get to gameplay Going back to, to the original live stream and then doing this one, was it a little bit easier to film and edit the scenes? Because a lot, I remember the first live stream, it probably had edits, but they were so clean that you didn't, you never saw them. I mean, uh, there were two in the whole movie. So um, it was way easier to edit live stream. <laughs> um, yeah, it was three shots, three takes. And then the hard part to edit with live stream was the chat because I did it in a ridiculous way that I was so dumb. Um, <laughs> and it made my life I mean, like I'm like, don't make fun of that movie. I like no, that no, movie. No. <laughs> if you knew, how, if you knew how I made it, like the outcome's <laughs> fine. The 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 way I did it is ridiculous and involved way too many masks in premiere. Like what was I doing? Like it was so, it was so absurd. Like there's such, it took me 25 hours to do that. If I like, if I did it again now, I know how to do it in two. Like, <laughs> oh, man. <Okay. laughs> like it was, it was it, it just absurd. Like the, the, the struggle that I went through for that thing. Um, but yeah, other than that ridiculous choice, I, it was pretty easy to edit live scream because, uh, everything was kind of, I mean, Gunnar Willis sort of just gave a good performance and I didn't have to do anything to it. Um, whereas this, yeah, I mean, we were, I was editing nine different or eight different cameras, um, and eight or nine different audio tracks. Um, the sound mixing for this was a lot, especially because I really went all in on sound design with this too, which I've never really done in a movie before. Because I was like, the game has to have game audio. And to have game audio, I need to be building the game audio. I need to build the environmental sound, the footsteps, the like directional sound, any sort of sound effects that happen in the game, like all that sort of stuff. There needs to be like thunder in the background if they're outside. Like, I, the environmental tracks alone were about five tracks deep because I really put a lot of effort into making it feel immersive. So um, yeah, the, the edit was a lot, um, especially when you consider there's also sanity and health meter on every person's camera, the whole film, and they're constantly changing. So like sometimes you'll have somebody with 80% sanity and full health. And then the next person has 50% sanity and full health. And the, you know, it like will continue to change per person through the entire film. So keeping track of that was also a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We're sort of out of time, but I, I do have a couple extra questions to, mm -hmm. to ask. And I've forgotten them because I had COVID a month ago and now my brain doesn't function <laughs> correctly. Uh, <laughs> Christ, what was it? I was like, oh, I should I should ask her about this. And now I, I'm, I'm Was it clue live screamers or live scream? Let's I, narrow it down. I don't even remember. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Uh, I think it had to do with live screamers and yeah, it's gone. I don't, uh, don't feel bad. I still can't remember that line. I stole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this is, this is how it's been. Like the last month I've just like, I, I got COVID. It was a terrible week. I got Mm -hmm. over it. I've tried to jump back in like multiple times and my brain is just not having me, uh, that peak performance so i had it a year ago after my first trip to england so i was a little bit like oh my god is this gonna be another one because we're coming to england again and yeah it was it was a bad week and then like a rough two to three weeks after like not still 100 so be patient with yourself hopefully it'll it'll heal up but it takes a while for sure yeah, appreciate that the, yeah so i i guess that's that's the live screamers and that's clue well some of clue <laughs> Mostly live streamers, but uh, you know, I'm pretty excited. I was very excited for this film. Obviously, uh, I love the first one. Uh, are you thinking about capping it at any point with like a, a trilogy aspect, or is that I, years and years off? Am I just? I've, like, I've had a couple people ask that now. Um, of like, when's the third one? And I was like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea for one, but like, I mean, it it was. To put it into perspective, in 2018, people were asking me this. They were like, when's Live Scream 2? And I was like, well, it'll be called Live Screamers, and I know it's going to be multiplayer, but, like, I don't know any more than that. Yeah, like, right. it, um, And it took me two years from that point to live enough life <laughs> to kind of <laughs> understand what the movie needed to be about. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to be in this sphere much longer um in terms of like you know the the gaming sort of side and the content creation side one day i'll just be a real filmmaker <laughs> one day people will just hire me to direct television or something and i won't have to do all this other like business stuff um and i'll i can just like wave from an island or something and not have to you know like manage 16 different social media accounts um but yeah, I don't know if I'm going to have that. I don't know if my life's going in the direction to lend itself to being, you know, to mm. there ever being a third one, but definitely never say never. I'm not, I'm not coming out of it feeling like, oh, I never want to touch live scream again. And I will say that there's going to be a lot more under the live scream and live screamer. There's going to be a lot more live scream and live screamers universe news um, coming in the next year in multiple different mediums. It's just not not gonna be film <laughs> yeah that's fine oh okay i i think i have an idea but oh uh, cool <laughs> that i'll you know it doesn't sound like you want to talk about it yet so we'll <laughs> ask you about it later but huge fan i can't wait for other people to see this because i've been talking it up uh for probably the last year obviously um if anybody doesn't know i helped michelle co-produce the film uh I saw, I saw my picture at the end too like oh the, nice it's literally just like on the side and i'm like <laughs> that's my stupid face oh, yeah you're in the you're actually like you made it into the credits because you yeah. were next to somebody and and if you look closely in the gallery i think i think you should be able to see it at some point in that scene because everybody's yeah, kind of in there i i did i so i watched it again last night because i wanted to make sure i was i was prepped for today too yeah i was like okay there there i am on there because i didn't see it the first time but yeah the second time I saw it, so it's like, like that's super cool okay <laughs> so see, you got a cam- you got a cameo that you could tell people to look I out for. Got a cameo, uh... I got a cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Name of the credits and everything. Everything. All right. Um, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. Uh, I've had a blast. Uh, JP. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. 
<laughs> Thanks for coming on, you clue yeah. hater. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great listening to you talk about, you know, making the movie and everything. I I, I don't know much about well, a lot of things. Um <laughs> so this this is this is really interesting. That's a great Twitter bio. I don't know much about a lot <laughs> of anything, things. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um so JP and I, after this episode, this is actually our s- sort of season finale, I, I guess. Uh, the, this marks mm-hmm. the one year of podcasts that we've done. Yeah, so after this, we much. are taking a little bit of a break, and we're going to go enjoy Mai Tais off the coast of Massachusetts. America? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. Off the coast of Massachusetts. Martha's Vineyard drinks on me, JP. Okay. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for a fantastic year. And uh, we'll hopefully be back shortly. <laughs>